Welcome to The Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side, and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Today's episode features guests Anthem Hayek Blanchard and Austin Davis of Hera Software Development Incorporated, the zero failure ransomware proof enterprise software solutions company. It helps to solve the world's toughest enterprise and cybersecurity, finance, gamification, and logistical challenges. Anthem is co-founder of Harrisaw, serving in-house public blockchain software stack, Hercules, gold-blacked cryptocurrency company Anthem Gold Incorporated, and co-founder of precious metals dealer Anthem Vault Incorporated. He was raised by legendary gold bug and precious metals pioneer James U. Blanchard III, who helped restore Americans' right to own gold and also founded Blanchard & Company, one of the world's largest rare coin and bullion companies. His passion is empowering people to manage their own crypto portfolios and understand the joys and pitfalls involved in the space. Austin is Chief Revenue Officer at Harrisoft. He is also co-founder of CommunityElectricity.io and other tech ventures. He also began dabbling in the NFT space many years ago, before it was cool, building prototypes and hosting community and educational events in LA related to new token standards such as NFTs. He holds advanced degrees in engineering, and Austin is also a strategic advisor to tech companies such as Casper Labs, of course, Harrisoft, and MeWe.com. He's an avid entrepreneur, with proven experience and passion for efficiency-driven tech and renewable energy solutions to benefit all humanity. Great bios, guys, and there's much more that we had to trim. The listeners shall know that you have a lot of cool stuff going on, and we're happy to dive right into it. Good to see you guys. Austin, it's been a minute, man, since we both have seen each other in LA. Where in the world do you live these days? Are you actually in LA when you're not traveling to the Middle East? I'm all over the place. I'm bi-coastal. I'm on the East Coast a lot these days with my family. I've got a little one. And um, yeah, I mean, I'll be in LA tomorrow, actually. So maybe we can see each other. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And we. I was just in Dubai with Anthem. He's over there still right now. And I don't know, he's he's going kind of on a world tour. But yeah, we, we both travel quite a bit. That's cool. Hello to our Dubai audience. You guys might get a kick out of the fact that at one point we were number 38 in podcast and technology in Dubai. We hit the radar at some point. So maybe our audience will get excited about this episode as well. Yeah. Within the first few weeks of our launch at that. So very exciting. We've talked about your tremendous background already. And, and there's such an interesting story behind the evolution of, of Harrisoft and the work you've done. And we understand it actually spun out of Anthem Gold you know, which is really the cryptocurrency that allows you to buy gold with blockchain technology. How did that transition happen? What was the inspiration? Yeah, appreciate it. And again, thank you very much, uh, guys, for having me on the show. It's a pleasure. And really, it was a lot of luck. I was adopted into a really amazing family that became pretty legendary in the gold business. And my parents, one of their claims to fame was helping to push for re-legalization of gold ownership in the United States, which was illegal for 40 years and became re-legalized again in 1975. And my parents were responsible for founding and building the world's largest gold coin and bar retailer. That was named after my dad, James E. Blanchard III and company. And they sold it to GE Capital 30 some odd years ago. And that was my basis. My dad passed away uh, in 1999. And when I graduated college, Emory in Atlanta in 02, I basically looked at our estate's portfolio and really took a liking to a digital gold currency company called goldmoney.com. And it was a fledgling startup under half a million dollars in metal. And I got to spend six years there and really was awesome. Board secretary, director of marketing, strategy, product, help with audits, help with accounting, help with client service really awesome experience, kind of like utility. And that kind of gave me some good experience as it turned out into cryptocurrency, quote unquote, public protocol. And so my wife and I 
founded our precious metal company, Anthem Vault, uh, 10 years ago, a little over that now. And we started developing in this public protocol technology that the Bitcoin founders created 12 and a half years ago. And we started that almost nine years ago now. So it's been quite a long run playing in these tools. And from there, we started building gold stable coins, prototypes, like Reuters credited us with building the world's first gold token seven years ago as a marketing tool. Then about four years ago, we built an inventory log anchored into Bitcoin. That is 100% public protocol. We created our own public protocol layer called Hercules that serves like an index or a library or a very basic operating system. And we serve this this solution to governments and companies. And what it does is it provides them with 100% uptime, ransomware proof, and guaranteed data integrity to the level of Bitcoin. So obviously with the news, JBS meatpacking, the world's largest meat processor getting cyber hack, Colonial Pipeline getting cyber hacked about a month or so ago. Federal Reserve Solar, going. Solar Winds had a hack, yeah. Solar Winds had a hack. Now the publicity is out there. The world knows about it. It's impossible to hide these attacks anymore like have been happening exponential rates the last five years and just every day gets more so. And as Bitcoin and cryptocurrency gets more valuable, one of the repercussions is that the bounties that you can extract from ransomware and denial of servicing systems, for example, gets exponentially greater. It's something really to understand. Yeah, security is quite an issue these days, especially with their I see as a double ends of the spectrum, right? There's a sort of a theme in our culture, culture, especially since the early 2000s of being open and sharing. And of course, we're all creating profiles on all these sites, Facebook and Instagram, YouTube and all these different places. And at the same time, not only is there more of a need for security, but there's also a different set of culture that is all about being more secure with things. It's almost even more difficult these days. Just in general, outside of the specific realms that you deal in, any thoughts on kind of how an individual might manage their security or their business as they're growing their business, how they might manage their security? How well, I've got some basic tips for that. And I still correct people all the time, even people that have been in this industry for many years. Never use your real cell phone number, especially not on your um, email signature. A lot of people still have their actual cell phone number and email signature. Now, you might have multiple cell phones and that one, you don't have any attachments to any real email accounts or bank accounts or anything like that. But most people do, right? And the easiest way to your wallet, whether it's a bank account or a crypto wallet is through your phone number. Obviously, SIM swaps is a huge problem. A mutual friend of ours, Michael Turpin, has a notorious case with AT&T for, I believe, $200 million. He's suing them. I'm not sure if that closed or not yet, but at any rate, yeah, it's a problem. It's a big problem in the industry. So that's one. Don't broadcast exactly where you live. Like your address is sacred, right? You never want people to know exactly where you live and if you can avoid it. And some people live the same place they work and that they have meetings there. So that's kind of unavoidable, but basic things like that. And then use different email accounts for everything, right? And don't use the same password for anything. I know that's hard, but there's ways to manage it. Obviously there's platforms that help you manage your passwords if you trust them, but some of those have even been breached. (laughs) So the best way would just be come up with your own password system and have different passwords for everything and safe storage of those passwords offline. So Austin, I think that's great advice and putting that in the context of NFTs, right? You know, we wanted to have this show because security is not sort of a sexy topic when it comes to NFTs. Everyone wants to talk about the cool stuff that NFTs can do, but mm-hmm. the reality is there's real security issues here that both consumers need to address and enterprises that are building this cool stuff. With NFTs, any kind of addendum you would add to the basic set of advice? I mean, you've got NFTs that are in closed systems like NBA Top Shots, where what you shared is very relevant. What about NFTs that live in the open space that someone has in their MetaMask wallet? Any extra precautions that you guys think of when you think of NFTs? Well, specifically to MetaMask, I mean, how safe is your computer, right? Like basically if someone can get into your computer, potentially they can get into your MetaMask wallet and transfer that NFT out. And MetaMask and Web3's systems have been breached as well in the past. They're not foolproof. They're, 
a lot more secure than other things, but they're not hundred percent foolproof, especially in this industry where you have people reviewing code all day long, looking for these loopholes and tanking projects or accounts and draining things. And, you know, luckily there's funds to replenish the coffers sometimes like with finance, you know, they're notorious for replenishing when a project gets hacked and drained, it's in their ecosystem. Yeah. I would just say be as cautious as possible with your computer and your phone and anything you're clicking through with those devices. Cause you are the weakest link, even if there's no code flaws that people can hack or anything like that. Like people can certainly easily be hacked. It's always you, the weakest link, right? So be cautious of what you click on and be cautious of where you store these things. Don't store them all in one place either, right? It's the traditional, it's very simple that don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your NFTs in one MetaMask wallet. Create a thousand MetaMask wallets on different devices if you want. Yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. I think this issue gets more complicated now that we look at the intersection of NFTs and DeFi. Every day there's a new project coming out and we're pretty excited. We'll have some guests on the show talking about collateralized loans against NFTs, both physical and digital assets and fractional NFTs. And the idea of sort of mixing loaning and NFTs just adds more fuel to the fire, I guess, at the end of the day. And I think it's great. I think that loaning with NFTs makes a lot of sense because NFTs can represent physical or tangible things, right? Or digital things that have value. So you could NFT your car to some degree. And if you're entitling, that is the one representation of your car, then you want to protect that and make sure that no one's able to transfer the title of that asset to their name and take it from you. What about- even, even if they could, yeah, if they could, if they could prove that they own the title, they could potentially take you to court by, like, Hey, they have my car. So you have the title here. It was signed over to me <laughs> once that becomes legal. But yeah, anyways, go ahead. I was going to say, what about NFTs themselves as some sort of a security key? Something that we've talked about in a few of our episodes so far is the possibility of NFTs being a pass, right? A ticket to a show yeah. or into a club, you know, or a small group that nobody else has access to or something like this. Is this something that security companies are taking a serious look at that NFTs are attached to like your password or your credentials or things like that? Or is that not even necessary? That's fascinating, really. I mean, some of what you just mentioned to do like ID management with NFT is really interesting. And, you know, to do like clubs or VIP passes or you know, you go to a sporting event and maybe if you do certain actions, then you get an NFT, you know, for participating and it's in the stadium's organizer's best interest because now you're going to be interacting with more of their commercial ventures on the premises. You know, now you're marketing the premises to other people off premise. Now you're creating a continuous reminder of yourself of the premise for you to return. Right. So like there's some use cases there that we're looking at or sporting events and things of that nature to realize that. And, you know, it's exciting. Yeah, Have no, I think seen... that, that well, sorry, I think it makes also. a lot of sense. No, just, just really quickly, because, you know, think about going to a traditional sporting event and they kind of rip your ticket stub in half and they, you keep your little, your piece that says your seat number and everything else. And it's a memorabilia, right? Maybe it has a QR code you scan. Maybe it has an NFT embedded in it. So that could all be done from your phone instead, right? Like whatever they scan, maybe they're taking a piece of that, keeping it to show that it's been redeemed and it can't be redeemed again, whether it's one of the standards that has multiple tokens attached or whether it's just an NFT and then you're transferring it and then it can't be transferred again. And you just have the transaction history of it, which still has all your data and you still know where you're sitting and you still have the kind of the idea of the collector's item. So yeah, I mean, I absolutely think it can be embedded and will be. And I think it's a good way to move forward without wasting all the paper trail and everything else from the past. Fellas, over the last year with the pandemic, right, we have a lot of new entrants into the space via NFTs. We have a lot of people at home working from maybe their personal computers in some cases or on their, their personal networks. We have this opportunity, it seems, for security protocols to break down, even as limited as they are right now. Have you guys seen this in your experience here over the last year, this elevation of security issues? I mean, without a doubt, I think the world has. I mean, right now, the world's largest meat packer, JBS, is being held publicly under ransom. The largest U.S. Eastern pipeline for oil was held under ransom a few weeks ago. The Federal yep. Reserve went down for hours a few months ago. So some of the most protected 
infrastructure on the planet, some of the most critical infrastructure to commerce on the planet has been publicly compromised. So just imagine how much has been compromised that we don't hear about it unless we're directly impacted by the incident. So really, I look at it like hardware is losing the battle against software in terms of offense and defense because the attackers are basically compromising other people's hardware whereas the defenders are having to use their own hardware to defend like in tandem with the software. And so when you look at it from a game theory standpoint, it's an impossible equation eventually. It's a cat and mouse game that you know, there's only so many IP traces you can do in physical form and people that can actually conduct it or outsmart some kind of robot or something detective. I mean, it's a folly when you look at the cost analysis. So we look at distributed networking and public protocols that provide distributed networks as being really inevitable in terms of taking over all commerce, all markets, all types of exchanges between goods and services. Now, I don't think it's going to happen this year. I don't think it'll happen in the next five years. I hope it'll happen in the next 10 years, although I'm still skeptical. But I think the sooner that we can transition to public protocol commerce, from today's forced marketplaces of governments. And we have to do things out of fear because we can't trust our records. Well, Bitcoin's invention gave us another option because now we have trusted record keeping. And by linking commerce on a trusted record keeping, all of a sudden our decision tree changes from fear of the unknown, of the unknown of corruptible information to all of a sudden trustworthy information where good actors win. So it's super exciting to be alive and all of us get to be uh, bit actors basically in this massive change, which is, I think, really, really privileged ultimately. So I'm curious, you guys work across a number of different use cases, enterprise security, logistics, finance, gaming. What makes it possible for you to help these different sort of channels with IT security? What is it about your sort of solution that applies to all these different channels. And then secondarily, as these channels incorporate NFTs, how are you thinking about things similarly or differently than you've done in the past? I really think with us, it's twofold. One is that we take a stack approach. So that's something that I'm starting to see a little bit, which I'm super excited about. But we really have been like four years into this concept of stacking public protocols together and anchoring them into Bitcoin. And using that approach, you create 100% uptime, ransomware-proof, perfect data integrity to the strength of Bitcoin solution. By having these software keys enveloping the cloud, it totally disincentivizes economically a denial-of-service attack. It totally distributes where you're trying to attack the application it totally separates out all the data with the application. All of these points are like critical shortcomings, ultimately, of centralized network architecture in a world where our access to terminals to access the internet is really free. Break it down in layman terms. What does stacking protocols mean to somebody that's not in the IT security world? Think of it like a cake like a recipe. You can think of a cake visual. We slice that cake open. We see the icing right around the cake. We maybe have two layers or maybe we have five layers or three layers and we have icing in between the layers or like bricks in a house. The icing is like mortar basically, right? To the brick, that's like a layer. And think of each one of these layers as one of these public protocols, like a Bitcoin or Ethereum, for example, or like our Hercules. Think of it like ingredients to a cake. And as long as Bitcoin is there and this index library protocol that we created, Hercules, is there, all the other public protocols are components that can be swapped. So all of our software today that we run all the time in business, commerce, what have you, runs in different types of stacks like assembly or cobalt or fortran or lamp linux mango mean whatever there's all kinds whatever tons of them and all of them operate in a locked format because if you start plugging and playing any component of any of these central software stacks you can totally lose all the information you, know, you can totally have a mismatch of information and 
that's why you have banks, for example, run software that's like half a century old plus because they're so afraid all they're going to do if they switch software is just go to the latest and greatest corruptible software. So like what is really their advantage to change over to like simpler written code? It's actually a disadvantage in the sense that it's easier to hack. The simpler the code is, the more obscure the language of the code is, the harder it is to be able to understand it. So you can see though, this is a very poor way to do security, what we're talking about here. I mean, it's a very reactive approach. You're constantly chasing everybody else. I mean, just like anything in life, if you're chasing, 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 you're just burning energy, right? Without really being a purpose and planning and, and really being methodical, right? You're letting others take over the tempo rather than taking control of the tempo, right? Totally. No, it seems that one of the things with NFTs that come to the surface, you know, for me a lot in a lot of our recent conversations is that a lot of that data that's stored is stored in a central way, right? It's not on chain. It's not on blockchain. It feels like that presents some serious risk for those companies leading the way, like NBA Top Shot or others that are storing what's really a massive amount of data. If you have video, if you have audio, right, really hard to store that significant amount of data on chain for a reasonable price. How does that play into this? Like, what do you guys think of this unique aspect, I think, of NFTs relative to some other crypto? I'll take that because we have a recent partner of, of Harrisoft called Veeam. It's Veeam.com, who's focusing on specifically that, taking you know, video memes, if you will, and, and finding unique ways to distribute those via NF. There's definitely ways to do it that I can't go super deep into right now related to Veeam, but definitely keep an eye on that. Like They've got like kind of one-click copyright going on, and they're able to distribute video meme type NFTs uh, for content that you've created that you can get the value for and distribute and have the traceability and everything. So, so that's pretty interesting. And there's a lot of other groups working on very similar things, right? It's not about jamming the whole file in there. It's about finding unique ways to represent that file that can't be replicated and storing that first, right? Because whoever puts that first on chain, even if it's not patented, there is a record, right? It's public record. It's in the collective commons, right? So this is kind of like the new collective commons, right? And that's the way that we kind of see that. So obviously Casper's a, a new layer one. So they're kind of just ramping up all the efforts and NFTs are definitely something they're focused on. Ethereum has been notoriously one of the first big layer one projects that kind of really distributed NFTs starting with 721 and then going on to other standards from there, like 1155, which Airsoft is, is using and 1337, which is a little bit newer. Going back to the stacking, like for Parasoft's purposes, like in NFTs, like maybe some NFTs on Ethereum are still useful. And then some on Casper and other chains that are building. Wax obviously has a lot going on with NFTs. They were earlier than a lot. Obviously, we know Quigley from Metal as well, Josh and Anthem here. I mean, there's a lot going on on so many different chains that's very productive. And that's, that's why it's so important to stack and not just be reliant on one chain for any specific use case, because all of them have great things going on and benefits from using them, whether it's cost or efficiency or network distribution or reach audience security, you might not be using it for us or, you know, adoption. So, so there's always a different use case. And there's always reasons to stack and use different chains. So that's, that's why it's good to be agnostic. And then the reason peg into Bitcoin, because it's the oldest and most secure of all, and it probably always will be ongoing because it just has the most hash power network security. So it makes sense to peg into it as a security layer. I wanted to dive into something with you, Anthem. I don't know how far we dive in, but you know, your family has this legacy of dealing with precious metals, and that's one type of investment vehicle that people have been dealing with. And then, of course, overlapping with NFTs is like fine art, right? Or investments in artifacts and one-of-a-kind items. So what I wanted to ask, and the answer may be no, might be yes, is your family and you had experience in this type of investment as well within fine art or collectibles or anything like that? And if so, let's talk about how that goes into NFTs. Now, that's fascinating, actually. It's funny, and I haven't thought about that. My dad is a very extensive collection of antiques and manuscripts and coins and all sorts of things. So when he passed away, there was a lot of stuff to go through, a lot of stuff liquidated. We did hold some. So if you're ever in New Orleans, there's a James U. Blanchard Foundation Museum that my brother and her husband run and upkeep, take care of everything. They're really great about it. So you can go check that out. It's kind of cool. We do have some pretty neat pieces. It'd be interesting to kind of think, could we NFT them? I'd love that. Challenge is like you have to reach a consensus. And so 
I've got to do a better job educating my, my siblings on NFT. So that way we maybe uh, might have a good idea there. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. So, so yeah. Sounds and like, really, yeah, go ahead. Uh, it just sounds like Anthem's the digital pioneer among his siblings from this conversation. Oh, yeah. My sister is a veterinarian and my brother is an entrepreneur and they have a lot of real estate that they do in New Orleans. And so they're very good business people. And I really took the more radical route because I don't really consider a public protocol. It's just turning into business for me, in my opinion. So after being in the space for you know nine years commercially, we're just, I think, at that point where there's just enough built, there's just enough pain and the commercial world where people are starting to be like, we don't care what you call it, crypto, blockchain, whatever, just keep my system running, you know, have my stuff work. I think that's the biggest thing. Keep me from getting hacked, especially the last 12 months. It's amazing. You know, once February of last year hit, all of a sudden people had a totally different reaction when we were talking with them about ransomware and cybersecurity. It went very mainstream at that point. And then I would say in the last, like, two or three months, it's gone mega mainstream where it's going like global headlines. And what is our world today without software? That's really interesting you say that because with the transition to home last year, one of the biggest kind of weak points was the office because nobody was there to maintain the servers and make sure all the computers were turned off and not just sitting there open running for people to find and jump into. And that's what I was happening a lot is that people, random employees left their, their devices on and open. So the network was pretty wide open. There was a lot of loopholes and people were jumping in and taking advantage of that. So I think there was a big shift with that. And then the home networks, as you mentioned earlier, needing to be more secure, home devices being used for work, as well as entertainment and clicking on random things from email, which is never a good thing, right? So less DevOps, if you will, because you're kind of merging the home and the professional life into one and you don't have that overarching security. So yeah, it's definitely an interesting time. Going back really quickly to what you were talking about with the private collection, it's interesting you say that because we did actually have several conversations with some private collectors over in Dubai, right? Anthem, some of the largest private collections over there, people are interested in NFTing those. So there's definitely a big interest in that and people are still trying to understand it and figure out how they can get value doing that. We were at an event a few days ago and there was an artist that created the world's largest piece of art, supposedly, and whatever, officially on the internet. So, right, must be true. So when I think they, it was an NFT for like 60 plus million dollars, super nice artist, by the way. This guy was like so humble. And the guy that bought it's really cool too. Oh, cool. <laughs> really awesome French Wait, guy. Did was, you guys meet up with people? Are you talking about people? No, this is a new one. This just happened last week. This is a new one that just happened last week. Yeah, okay. it was in Dubai, I think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, that's that's, yeah, I mean, our listeners love to get the edgy stuff. So that's great to know. And sort of leaving on a happier note, this segment, guys, we talked about this sort of chase and sort of some of the challenges in the security world right now. Let's sort of pivot to something hopeful. Like what is some of the coolest stuff that you guys are doing or discussing with companies where you think we can get ahead of the game and maybe sort of get at least take the lead in the IT security world. What's some of the cool stuff you guys have cooking up for NFTs that you might be able to share with our listeners? Well, NFT specific is we're getting a lot of fielding from what you would expect, like paintings and movies and music. We're also kind of getting some interesting things like animal registry, NFT. So that's kind of an interesting one where you can kind of see a crossover from kind of art to gaming to supply chain or health records. You know, we've got kind of excitement, broader potential applications for that. Some other interesting NFTs, I would say marketing, affiliate marketing potentials, like using geotagging, for example, you know, NFTs and kind of like we were talking about before with the ticketing. And it's like, what happens today? I mean, what better real-time consensus can you get than going to a live event with all these people and at the same time you're digitally confirming them while you're there with them i mean and how are you sort of pushing the limits of security layers with these projects is there anything that you're thinking about now that you weren't thinking about 12 months ago yes yeah, so one i'll share real quickly is we have just secured all of the data and the contest for the world's most luxurious mall sweepstakes, or at least so it's billed in Doha, Qatar, and it's in their celebration mall. And they tried it. They did about 25,000 entries from March to April, 
22 winners selected for all kinds of, you know, fancy mega cars and all this cash and things. And we entered each one of those entrants into Bitcoin, save the information there. So after the fact, you know, anyone can review the information. If anyone is ever accused of say colluding with people that worked at the mall, for example, to put themselves in or their family or friends or associates or business partners or whomever in now there's an impossible to corrupt record keeping of that. That gets referenced into Salesforce API, which is what they currently use. So point being is that, you know, we work with the government here. We work through the world's largest WhatsApp chat bot via phone that's based here in Dubai. They were existing client at Qatar was a via phone. You know, that's a really exciting case. We did like a, what they call a checksum on a random number generator to show that this was random and it was done at this date, this time. And there's a timestamp that's anchored into Bitcoin. You know, that was a realistic example. It took us two cases, two weeks, excuse me, you know, to build that use case. We found out about that build about a month or so earlier, not even in less than half a month, we, our team got it out, which is awesome. So that's kind of a fun one. You know, it's kind of bringing in this concept of incorruptibility in a real world case, you know, this luxury mall where integrity and is, is really critical, right? I mean, if one store in there was found out to be doing something like counterfeiting goods, for example, or, you know, mall sweepstakes was found out to be colluded, all of a sudden, you know, there's hundreds of other malls that you can choose from in these cities. So you have a lot of substitution potential there. You've mentioned a couple of times connecting to blockchain of Bitcoin, or you said anchoring into Bitcoin. And I'm just curious, is there a base cost associated with that? Is it larger depending on the type of anchoring that you're trying to do? Or is it just like a Satoshi and you're anchoring to Bitcoin or it's a Bitcoin and you're anchoring to Bitcoin? How does the cost of those type of things pan out? Great question. So we, we use aggregate layer to anchor into Bitcoin. Our first version, we use a layer called Factum. Now we use a layer called Origins, and basically we'll use whatever the least cost denominating layer is effectively to anchor into Bitcoin. That's the beauty of being able to swap in and out of the stack, and we can do it even with an existing implementation. You know, we're never anchoring directly into Bitcoin ourselves because it's expensive, right? So we're always basically having the references, you know, through other third parties that basically aggregate all this information into one. And basically that's how an aggregate protocol basically runs is basically collecting all those little tiny fees and then basically just absorbing the one fee into Bitcoin. So that's how we do it basically. Appreciate that. Yeah. We don't have to dive too deep. <laughs> just no, curious. We got time, man. Let's keep going now. <laughs> I'm writing some code over here. I'm just wondering if we could, I could do a share screen and you know, we could run through it. You guys, uh, no, I, I think this is, this is really good fodder. You know, we're co-hosting a conference called DeFi Summit coming up on June 14th, the NFT day. We're going to be moderating a bunch of panels and, and then we're going to have a show on the future of NFTs. And you guys have given us a lot to think about. So thanks for creating our show notes for our upcoming conference during this podcast. You guys didn't know that you're, this is work, but you can send us the bill after. You ready to shift gears a little bit and uh, hit some edge quick hitters? Let's do it. Great. Beautiful. All right. So as a reminder, edge quick hitters are a fun, quick way to get to know you a little better. Uh, there's 10 questions and we're looking for short, you know, single word or few word answers, but feel free to expand if you get the urge. All right. You guys ready to jump in? Sure. <laughs> we'll hit you both and I will, uh, yeah. I'll, I'll lead the way on that. So, so Anthem, let's start with you, man. What is the first thing you remember ever purchasing in your life? First thing I ever remember purchasing in my life is a CD. Nice. Do you remember which one? Oh, maybe a cassette tape. This is sad. Uh, I'm dating myself. You know what? Maybe it was, I want to say it was like a Def Leppard tape maybe. And I'm, I'm nice. Let's just say that. Cause that's awesome. Yeah. It, it wasn't, you're, you're sure it wasn't boys to men, right? It was probably, it was probably something like, you know, I don't know, like a Disney movie or something as far as I know. But yeah. It could have been what you're right. Yeah, it's, I, I think I was a little younger. I must've bought some, but where would have I gotten this money from? I guess gifts. I don't know. It's a, uh, it's a good question. It was, it was definitely Def Leppard. 
I definitely How about you, Austin? Oh, same question. I was trying to think about that. It wasn't an actually specific thing. It was more entertainment, right? That's what we spend money on. Yeah. I would save my allowance. I got like a weekly allowance or whatever it was. And I remember I was so meticulous with it. I would iron the bills and hide them in like books and everything. They were super flat. And then like, whatever, like I would take them to the local, this is, this is kind of lame, but take them to the local state fair and blow it all on games. Just like spend it all. It was like, you know, for, for a kid, it was a lot of money. And I was just like, I just want to blow it all on games, which is funny. Cause I'm not really a gambler. I go to Vegas and I don't really gamble that much. I'll do it like for a minute and be like, okay, I'm up, I'm done. <laughs> but yeah, that's the first you thing I would rather games. gamble with the industry you're in, which is crypto and blockchain. Some would say yes. that you're gambling yeah. every day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I don't really like sell a lot of crypto, but yeah, you're, you're right. It is a big gamble, right? The whole thing could come crashing down one day for unknown reasons, but I don't, we don't, we don't think that it will. <laughs> Hopefully not a ransomware attack. Austin, number two for you. What is the first thing you remember ever selling in your life? First thing I remember selling was a Super Nintendo. I remember selling that to somebody, schoolmate, because I wanted to buy the latest one or something like that. And we had we had two of them. So I was like, I'm going to sell mine. Yeah. It was a Super NES. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Anthem, how about you? Now this, I definitely remember. So <laughs> in sixth grade, I got into some of my parents' adult magazine stash. And Ooh, I, that's a good I, one. I used that as the beginnings of my startup <laughs> to basically sell. And then what I would do is I would cut parts of the page. So I'd actually could multiply how much money I could get out of the <laughs> You nice. the magazine. Well, I That's went to a pretty school for 13 years, right? You know, like the Manning brothers and Michael Lewis and, you know, Walter Isaacson, all these like crazy people, right? So they all had money to blow, right? Not those people. I didn't go to school. Eli and Peyton, although I never sold to them. So for the record. And nice. hilarious. I, I didn't see that in your bio, man. I, I don't know. Uh, I missed that. Um, <laughs> so I got to bring this in real quick. So I have another podcast, Run With It podcast, that we bring successful entrepreneurs to share new business ideas. We had a recent one the other day around education, right? And trying to develop alternative form of education to replace or augment what we already have. And we especially focused on entrepreneurs. And we came up with this really clever idea that to get students for this school to recruit entrepreneurs, you would go to all the teachers in an area and say, send me your kids that are selling stuff. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, the ones that are probably getting into trouble, right? For selling stuff. Anybody. Yeah. It's like, those are the entrepreneurs. And then we'll enroll them in like this special entrepreneurial program. Yours would have been a very special case that would have had to have been handled very delicately. Well, even even better because he didn't he didn't have to pay for it originally. He found it. It was treasure that he found and then split up into more treasure. <laughs> Amazing. You know, it is yeah. what it is. Is what it is. So, <laughs> exactly. Anthem, what's the most recent thing you purchased? Ooh, the most recent thing that I purchased was probably lunch. Actually, that's not true. It was dress shirts that I'm in Dubai. I got two, I got three for two at Deben Haas, which by the way is awesome. I'll give them a plug. So they need to come to the United States. They're really good. They're now my favorite clothing chain after Uniqlo is now second. So, all right, Uniqlo, you got to wow. step it up. Nice. Austin, how about you? Just well, lost our sponsorship with Uniqlo, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> all right. I just, I just have to be transparent and true because this is crypto. The last thing I bought was probably two hours ago. It was a glass shower door for my shower. Not that interesting, but that's the last thing that I purchased with fiat currency. <laughs> is the story behind why you had to replace it interesting? I don't know. My... You can ask my wife about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Austin, what's the most recent thing you sold? Oh, most recent thing I sold. Hmm. Besides that's... Dogecoin. Besides Doge. Yeah. I, I have to think about that. Like what have I sold? I'm trying to think about like marketplace or like I really sell things. Like what, what have I sold? My soul? to crypto. I sold my soul to crypto a long time ago. <laughs> um, I, I honestly cannot think of anything that I have sold in recent history because I don't really sell things. What have I yeah. sold? I sold my soul to crypto. That's what I did. You selling <laughs> business. If you sold some business for Parasoft, that counts. Yes, I did. I sold something mm -hmm. recently to the Dutch government that Anthem can tell you about. Yes, yeah. I did. That was awesome. It was our lead 
enterprise client that really allowed us to cross the chasm to enterprise. And you had for a number of years with really excellent entrepreneur that was a former investment banker and a massive foreign currency trader at companies like Cargill and had a concept of a gold token. And he convinced the European Union's assayer and the Netherlands assayer, which is a word, fancy word meaning basically a mint, a, a, you know, government that, you know, like how they make coins and things right out of gold and silver and things. And mm-hmm. it was a deal that we get a licensing deal off of. And it's a partnership. Ultimately, it's, it's almost like a franchise relationship because I have so much random experience in digital gold currency professionally, which is obviously a pretty unique niche. So it kind of worked out nicely. And we'd already built a lot of the software for ourselves. And albeit we kind of stopped marketing retail gold about four or five years ago, but we kind of out innovated ourselves from gold retail into enterprise cloud software. And so, yeah, you definitely did a great job. So, so I sold, I sold ourselves to the Dutch government. That's what I sold is us. To the EU. Yep. Very nice. Yep. Anthem, how about you? Well, I mean, I've been trying to sell things over here. I don't know how successful it is, but I'm definitely selling my personality over here. But we closed our Series A round with a lot of help from everybody. So that was something that I helped to sell. But really, I mostly sold our lead investor. So you sold part of your company to some investors. There you go. That's exactly it. Sold equity. That was was a sell. That was a a memorable sell. That was a recent sell. Yeah, About About to sell more in a B round. Oh, very, very close, first. but we're just keeping it tempered. Cool. Anthem, what is your most prized possession? Ooh, well, probably the Satoshis, I guess. Right. I mean, in truth be told, I mean, I'd have to say probably my hair stock with everything that we've got wrapped into the company, honestly. So you know, even more than the Satoshis, which is hard to admit, but I think that because to me, it's about something more than money. Like to me, the you know cryptocurrency represents a new way of commerce a peaceful way to commerce and i view software access keys as just that so that's exciting to be able to be involved in affecting like real epic global things in a positive way for people that better quality of life including myself is <laughs> something you know i enjoy so something right fun how about you austin well, my most prized creation is my son. <laughs> my most prized possession, aside from things like Bitcoin, is probably, it's like kind of the most unique. It's a piece. Have you heard of the Nika crystal caves in Mexico? They've got giant tree-sized crystals, like literally hundreds of feet long and like bigger than you can put your arms around. I convinced that laboratory before they sealed it off. They let it, they basically were pumping out water for years because it's under the ocean in a giant cave somewhere in Mexico, in the Nika area, I guess. So I have a piece of the Nika crystal in a vault somewhere. So that's probably my most kind of like prized unique possession. And I was able to negotiate that when I was in grad school. So wow. I didn't even have to pay for it. <laughs> cool. I love that subtle distinction you made, you know, when you talked about your family, right? It's like, we yeah. don't really own our family. We can't like make yeah. them do anything, whatever. <laughs> we don't possess them. Right. You know, we just love them. Right. So a lot of people yeah, say their exactly. prized possession is their family, but you don't necessarily yeah. possess them. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's why I had to make that distinction. Of that. He's a free soul. <laughs> if he was my Indeed. possession, he wouldn't be giving me such a hard time. Right. <laughs> Not yet he isn't, but soon he will. <laughs> so Austin, if you could buy anything in the world, digital, physical, a service that's currently for sale, what would it be? Hmm. Something that is currently for sale. It has to yeah. be for sale. Hmm. Yeah. What would I buy? That is a really hard question. I would buy the food bank and I would turn it over for free. <laughs> if I could buy it, but you're saying unlimited capital, right? If I could buy anything. Yeah. Yeah, I would buy like the World sure. Food Bank and I would make it a never ending food bank and let people, no one goes hungry, right? I guess food and water. Yeah, <laughs> it's not really an answer, but that's my answer. I love <laughs> it. It sounds it's magical. Yeah. yeah. How about you, yeah. That's a great one. Yeah, I would just, yeah, pretty much, yeah, perpetual health and world peace. I don't know. Oh, I guess that's, that's really stretching it. But yeah, I guess that is an extension, you know, better, better quality of life, right? Well, let's switch gears a little bit then. Anthem, if you could pass on one personality trait of yours to the next generation, what would it be? Curiosity. How about you, Austin? One personality trait, empathy. Perfect. So if you could eliminate one personality trait of yours from the next generation, 
what would it be, Austin? Workaholism. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad thing, but it also is a bad thing when like your family has to pry you away from work just because it's what we do. <laughs> it's a gift and a curse, yeah. right? It is indeed. Yeah. Anthem, yeah. how about you? I would say for me, you know, arrogance, I would say, you know, it's something that I struggle with constantly. And you know, I like to say humbled and grateful for myself really as a reminder, right? Because it's easy to forget it for me personally. So, you know, for me, it'd be arrogance and I'd really try to be cognizant of that. And I don't think I'm always arrogant, but I think I can become arrogant at times. And so that's something that I've got to constantly check. So ego and arrogance, I think are probably the two biggest killers of things in general. So you got to just kind of I, know, I gotta kind of remember that always. So, and he reminds himself and us all the time because he's always humbled and grateful. So, <laughs> I don't think right he's on. arrogant anymore. <laughs> right on. Self-aware yeah. though, that's awesome. It's important. Yeah. Anthem. So, what did you do just before joining us on the podcast? Well, we were just actually having a nice time here with actually the founder and CEO of Veeam. So we just name dropped oh. it, but we're all staying here at the same hotel. He's got to go back. I think he's going to LA actually tomorrow and we're here for a few more days. So that was what we were doing. And so my wife, Cynthia and I, and co-founder president, and we were hanging out and Beam for full disclosure is one of the small seed investment of ours. And we like to at Hera make small seed investments at times. We look at things as potential strategic partnerships and relationships for us. And you know, we're excited about that one and kind of really appropriate given that the topic of our show here, your show that we're guests on, of course, um, is NFT. Yep. And Beam's a good one. Brittany Kaiser is also an advisor. So it's like a lot of people we collectively probably all know here are involved one way or another. So it's a good one. We like Beam. <laughs> That's amazing. Awesome. What did you do just before joining us? Well, just got back from Dubai with Anthem. Uh, did Memorial Day with family. So it's been a whirlwind. I haven't stopped. And just today, what did I really do, to be honest? I just did a big workout and ate a big breakfast. And here we are. Now I'm here with you. <laughs> Awesome. That's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Last question, Austin, what are you going to do next after the podcast? Oh God, I'm going to be glued to my computer and phone for the next 10 hours straight. And then I'm flying to Los Angeles. <laughs> wow. Glad yeah. we could give you a little reprieve. Anthony, no worries. I'm going out to dinner with my wife and then we're going to be meeting up with a few friends and associates here in Dubai. Excited about that. It's, an, it's hard to get a bad meal in Dubai, by the way. And it's, yeah, a lot of, it's more America than America's. It's wild. The thing that impressed me the most about Dubai is there's no crime, right? Like you see a city, like any big city, you expect some level of crime. Oh, I got to like figure out where my wallet is and stuff like that. In Dubai, you just don't think about it because there's zero crime. So that, that impressed wow. me a lot. Zero crime and zero dirtiness. Yeah, it's a great wow. city. That's quick hitters. Thanks so much for indulging us. I think it's time to switch over to Hop Topics and then talk a little bit about what's popping in the uh, world of NFTs today. Yeah. Let's hit it. So first headline in the list here is Wazir X, W-A-Z-I-R-X, is to launch NFT marketplace for India and South Asia. Interestingly enough that India has been a place that's been controversial around cryptocurrencies and they've been sort of vacillating on how they want to handle those or make them available to their citizens or not. Got any other thoughts about this one, Jeff? I think the bigger story here for me is exchanges, you know, big exchanges getting into the world of NFTs, right? We talked about Binance doing the same thing recently and it's coming, right? And these are the power players with massive user bases already in place with people that know how to use the platforms that trust the platform to the topic of today's conversation around security and, and safety or making things right, like with Binance, right? If things do go sideways. So I think there's a real opportunity for these guys to make quick work of some of the smaller platforms out there, or at least gain a really strong foothold at the, at the forefront of what's happening. And I think there is, for these big companies, probably not a ton of innovation happening from the ground up, but when they see an opportunity, they can act very quickly and execute against it. So that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, for sure. And it, it is interesting to see the currency trading platforms get into the NFT space, but it, some part of it feels a little bit unnatural. Like, that it should be something separately managed or, but at the same time, there is a connection there. It's interesting to see these 
trading platforms get into the NFT space, but also you don't necessarily see the reverse happening. Some sort of NFT platforms that are hosting NFTs trying to get into that space. It kind of feels like yeah. something that needs that should be ultimately kept separately. And if there is some sort of an in, investment relationship between one and the other, or you know, like a conglomerate relationship, that that should be sort of independently managed. That just feels like an intuition to me. I always have this underlying thought that NFTs, not that it's necessarily going to become a dirty word, but like we evolve right pretty quickly in this industry. Like, what are we going to call it a year or two from now? Like, is it always going to be NFTs? Like. Right now, every fighter in the world has an NFT, right? You know, Jake Paul or Mayweather or like anybody who's doing anything, artist or entertainer or fighter or whatever, like everybody wants an NFT. So like, I wonder what it's going to evolve into becoming, right? I know like Josh and Anthem, like, you know, over at Wax, they've got like Quigley a long time ago called it viral, virtual in real life, V-I-R-L. Maybe that'll catch on one day. Like who knows what these things are going to be called. But like at the end of the day, how do they work and what is like end users benefit from doing it? And, you know, I think that's, that's what really matters. But NFT is catchy because it's short. It's a short acronym. We actually were in Dubai with the, the CEO of NFT.com. I think NFTs are here to stay, but I think they're also going to evolve pretty quickly. That's going to be fun to watch. Should we jump on to the next headline? Let's do it. Let's yeah. catch it. What do we got? So we have an article authored by someone at the BBC talking about their experience buying an NFT title buying a pink nft cat was a crypto nightmare so delving into the details and the difficulties of actually acquiring an nft here and we forget how well look 2017 it was a lot more difficult to buy crypto or buy anything you know on the blockchain right but it's not like it's super easy now either presents its own security risks like the the advancements that have been made like People using MetaMask or making it a little simpler to use, or even NBA Top Shot, right? Where you don't even know you're doing anything on the blockchain, right? When you go to that website. But there's still real complexity here, and we're still very, very early. And it's tough for a layman to, to come into the space, a newbie to come in and, and buy something and understand what to expect and to take the right steps. I think in this article, the person was talking about setting the right limits on gas fees and so on, which if you're not transacting a lot, you probably don't think about much. And it kind of locked her up and she ended up choosing like a low gas fee. It took like three days to transact or something like that. Mm -hmm. but she was lucky it actually even went through at all. I think it's we're early. That's the big I, I think the good news is this gas pain point is being addressed by a number of protocols and ventures right now. We heard from Engine about what they're doing about it. We talked today about Casper that's doing something. Wax is a very low cost transaction. Proton Marketplace, Fred was on, is a very low cost. And there's more of those coming out every day. So I'm optimistic that these stories won't take up as much headline space within a quarter or two, I would imagine. You got to remember that back in 2017, when CryptoKitties came out, they kind of pushed the NFT space forward a lot quicker. Like that's when the 721 standard was kind of defined and created was after that, right? And because of that, not only because of it, but it certainly like spawned it, just like 2020 spawned a lot of this, you know, heightened momentum that we're in right now. Like, so, so it's kind of a good thing that it's hard at first because it makes people that are builders go in and say, how can I make this better for the end user? Because that's the only way we get adoption is to make it easy, like top shots or like even easier than that, right? So, so yeah, I think we're we're getting there slowly but surely, but it's exciting. Yeah, there's a quote in the article here from someone she's consulting that said, NFTs are just a new form of magic bean that crypto fanatics can sell for money, but all you're buying is a receipt. The market is completely fake. <laughs> and I think one of the things that's interesting here about this is this also just reminds me of just getting into anything new. You know, my, sure. my PhD advisor told the story of when he learned to ride a bike, he figured he'd try to get the balance part of it down before he got out there and actually started going down the sidewalk, right? So he spent days in his garage just sitting on the bike trying to balance and he fell over a bunch of times and he got hurt and, you know, he, he didn't want to keep going, right? So yeah. I, I think that just like any new space, there is this natural human sort of fear of what's going on and it's healthy, right? That's it's, part, it's sure. baked into our biology to kind of be a little bit suspicious, to be cautious, to worry about being taken advantage of. We're talking about security in here. Those are totally relevant concerns. 
But at the same time, it is getting, like you said, Josh, maybe a little bit of extra attention at the moment that may not be warranted down the line, or is at least the attention that leads to the more ease of use down the line. But that's a very philosophical question too, or, you know, statement, right? Like it's fake. What does that mean? Like, okay, so that means all, all fiat currency is fake. All governments are fake because we don't need any of them. We don't need anything, right? All high-end retail is fake, but there's a market demand for it and people want it for some reason. All you need is like to eat and drink and you don't even need to do that. You can choose to wither away and die if you want to, but like you choose what is fake and what's not. And people are choosing that this is real. So it is real. <laughs> it's a very philosophical statement to say that something is fake. Yeah. In one of Noah Yuval Harari's books, I forget which one it was. I mean, he just goes into this, you know, multi-page discussion of how a corporate, I mean, what's a corporation? I mean, it's, right. it's what's Apple, right? Apple's nothing. It's just a common belief that there's this corporation called Apple, that if I walk into this office, I work for it and they give me money. It's an imaginary relationship that helps create something productive within our society. And so we all just maintain the idea that there's this actual thing called Apple, right? It, it, uh, right. It, it gives us though an interesting conundrum though, because one of the problems then of ascribing something digital with something physical and ownership is the enforceability of it because everything that we have in our physical world runs on the concept of force and enforceability and court systems and all of these human dictated decision makers, basically arbitrators, judges, juries, CEOs, executives, you know, board members, trustees, I do think that that's going to be a challenge. I mean, it's like one of the issues with NFT and like a real estate investment trust, but like you could use it for like a timeshare, for example. Right. So, but it's understanding like how the government laws applying themselves and then like understanding like, okay, how, like if you're a creator of like an NFT system or protocol or whatever, it's like how, is this digital marker of database record being aligned with like whatever it is that it's representational of, if it's representational of anything, or if it just stands alone, that's even something totally separate. So I think that's where it's like a little bit, what is being promised if anything of like what kind of access the NFT can get you into. And if it's not, you know, mathematical, then you know, there could be like a mismatch of expectations. Like, you know, you buy a Mayweather NFT and, you know, when you bought it, you're told that as long as, you know, Floyd Mayweather is alive, you'll get to meet him once in person. And Floyd Mayweather decides this year, he doesn't want to meet them in person or next year or something. And he's alive. Like, what do you do? Like, can you go to court over that? Probably like maybe civil court, you know, but again, now we're talking about the legacy system that the whole point of everything, Bitcoin and public protocol and NFT and DeFi and Ethereum and all these wax and you know, beam and everything. It's, it's trying to get out of the old world, right? Into this new world. So it's important, right? Like, you know, how do we deal with this? They're good questions, really. You know, speaking, we have to think about. Yeah. Speaking of getting out of the old world, found this article really interesting. MLB is going to auction NFT featuring Lou Gehrig's luckiest man speech. So we know about tops on wax, but now the MLB is taking another step towards innovating here. And it's a pretty famous speech. Jeff, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to innovation around capturing and creating value from classic moments in all kinds of contexts. That's one of them. And I think that it's put out by the MLB when you think of ownership provenance, right? it has some some weight to it. And it's cool. I think it's fun. Right? When we're talking about NFTs and, and how I think the mass population thinks about them right now, a lot of it is through this lens of like fun collectible things, whether it's a cool scene from Pulp Fiction or Lou Gehrig's Luckiest Man. Like there's just some really rad stuff that people are passionate about. That's what collectors have been passionate about forever. Yeah. I think it's very cool. And I like that they're doing that. They're all, they also have the relationship with top. So I, I like that they're going beyond and, and doing some other fun things with it. So I dig it. I'd be into trying to own some cool stuff like that. Did they say how they're going to do it, Josh? I know that they've traditionally worked with wax, right? For some of their stuff, but did they say how or what chain or how they're going to offer it? It doesn't say in the article how they're planning to, it's a, to do it's it. It's a group, actually. No, Candy, what is it? Candy they're working Digital. with someone else. Candy Digital, yeah, is the crew they're working with. I'm not too familiar with those guys. But 
they're taking a different approach to it, which, which I dig. And I don't know that they've announced yet how they are going to offer it. I haven't seen it yet. I think one of the interesting aspects that this calls to mind and a lot of what we're talking about recently is you're starting to get like a little bit more concrete understanding of all that is owned out there. And you may or may not know who owns it or, you know, what kind of things they do with it. And because this is all in the common conversation, you know, you go, oh, yeah. So, okay. So MLB owns that speech. Okay. Or this didn't come up in the news, but this, you know, the I have a dream speech, right? That's a thing, right? Who owns that? You know, and there's like a family foundation that owns that and they decide what is and isn't done with that. So it's very interesting to bring these into the common conversation and get the public perception around ownership. I think we're really due for this, especially through this era of social media where we've given up ownership of all of these things and we don't know where it went. <laughs> It'd be interesting when and if some of these social media companies start pulling out their ownership rights to, <laughs> so, so, to our content and NFTing them without yeah, our consent. <laughs> totally. And to close the loop, Austin, Candy has a joint venture with Fanatics and they're going to run this on the Ethereum blockchain. Got it. And I saw that Candy is a Toronto-based company and is backed by like Galaxy Digital and others. So I bet you we know some people at Candy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it sounds like a big deal. And I know Kurt, who we both know, is doing some consulting yeah. with Tops on this. So we can probably get more juice from him on what's going on there. Yeah. Let's, let's dig deeper. <laughs> All right. So analysis of Paragon, NFT fragmentation is the best choice of promoting liquidity. What's this all about? In any situation where you're trying to find price, right? You're trying to ascertain price. You probably need more access to transactions than the number of NFTs that are out there. I mean, even Top Shots, if you have like, you know, 30,000 of, of one particular moment, right? That's actually not a lot when you think about finding price relative to say the amount of stock that's available of a particular company in the marketplace, right? And so with some NFTs being X of a hundred, right? A hundred limits or whatever, it's, it's a little, it's very small. And so you don't really know real price, but if you fragment and there's demand for it, then, then you can actually ascertain what the actual price is based on the demand. So fragmentation is really important and, and I don't think anybody's nailed it yet. And so there are a number of people working on it. I think it's going to help bring at least pricing for the world of NFTs as well as access to a different level. Yeah, that's a great point. We brought in, I forget the name of it, company that was fractionalizing physical art and they actually weren't doing it with NFTs or, or anything blockchain based at the time. But Along those lines, it did provide exactly what we're saying. You could see a value much more easily than just, you know, one person selling it one day and the next one selling it a few years later. And that is kind of a beautiful piece of all this for sure. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have looked at, again, the elements of security that comes up with this, but when you start getting into the fragmentation process and how that ownership is controlled, is it central? Is it on the chain or not? I think there's some really interesting things that will come from that as well. Fragmentation isn't something that has been you know, central in the realm of crypto to date. It's been something that's happened with collectibles outside of the space, like Rally, RD, and others that allow you to own fractional ownership of collectibles. But it seems like it's going to present some different challenges. My question is, what are the art heist films of the future going to look like? Is digital art heist something that's just not really achievable because of the the provability of ownership and the blockchain record of title on these things? Or is it just a whole new era of subculture theft and espionage? Probably a new subculture of theft and espionage. Yeah. Give from yeah. somebody in security, right? Yeah. You know, it never ends. <laughs> well, guys, I think that's hot, that's hot topics for today, I think. Yeah. You know, before we wrap, I think we'd love to know where can listeners go to learn more about you and the projects you're working on? Yeah, I would say harrisoft.com for harrisoft related stuff for me personally twitter is the easiest for crypto ae davis is my handle beam.com we talked about them another one that is harrisoft partner is crownbits.com it's a up and coming bitcoin rewards company in uh, canada and also india and africa so anthem you want to give a shout out your twitter handle any other company handles anthem hayek is my twitter my middle name is Hayek after The Economist. Actually, cool. You can Google my dad, Jim Blanchard and Hayek and Hayek predicted Bitcoin and cool YouTube video from 37 years ago with them conceptualizing digital currency, ultimately, in my view and other people's view, apparently, before I even realized it. So that's kind of a cool thing. Obviously, Harrisoft.com. That's really 
hgrc.one for any geeks out there that really like you know academic papers and such that's our protocol hercules website and yeah you know partners goldflorin.com it's the warburg holland gold assayer site of course veeam crown bits Kodo wallet is one of our partner companies too in south africa and uh, great jabezi does a great job educating the university with that as well yeah several others i'm excited about but but those are really kind of the ones of note so you know thank you all very much and it's been an honor and a lot of fun so appreciate it Thank you guys so much. And it's great to get your perspective on this industry. Uh, security is so important and not talked about enough. Anthem, I think you were thinking of offering our listeners a little something as a giveaway for the show, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. Yeah. So we deal with governments and big companies. Typically, you know, we're willing to take an introductory and call with our tech team and willing to spend the time with you and willing to prioritize you as one of your listeners. And of course, we want to be of value to everyone, you know, big and small. Of course, most theft happens where things are the biggest, but that said, we all are affected by theft and bad actors and ransomware and cybersecurity attacks. So if you're interested in 100% uptime ransomware-proof perfect data integrity solutions for your organization, I will make you in our priority. Humbled and grateful. And I'll do what Austin said not to do because I do have some stuff separated out. So I'm actually doing what you said to do. It's 702-569-431 is my cell. So you're welcome to reach out to me, text me, Twitter me, Instagram me, whatever you want to me. I'm probably there. And if I'm not there, I probably should be there. So please let me know if you don't mind. Thank you. And, <laughs> and guys, a, a quick closing comment on the NFT uh, candy digital thing we talked about. It looks like it's actually Gary V and Merchandiser Fanatics. It's sports merchandise. So it looks like it's a pretty, right. it's like a powerhouse group behind the scenes that formed a catchy name, you know, kind of like a Google leg name, Candy Digital. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's not just some small startup. <laughs> I think they were behind the V friends thing, Candy Digital. Yeah. 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 Okay. We've reached the outer limits at the edge of NFTs today. Thanks for exploring with us. We've got space for more adventures on this starship. So invite your friends and recruit some cool strangers that will make this journey all so much better. How? Go to iTunes right now, rate us and say something cool, then go to edgeofnft.com to dive further down the rabbit hole. Thanks, guys. See you in the outer world, beyond the outer limit.